The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the very first episode, the premiere episode of the new Star Trek series, Star Trek Prodigy, Prodigy called Lost and Found. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Steak. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. Folks, be sure to share this podcast with your friends, uh, especially your Trekkie friends who may not have even heard of Prodigy or may be interested in watching Prodigy for the first time. Uh, help us grow this community of listeners. We grow because you share the podcast with others. Uh, we want you to uh, make sure to uh, stick around to the end. We do have a little bit of listener feedback. And I want to tell you about another show that's on the StarQuest Network that uh, you will enjoy called Prey Station Portable. It's an opportunity to pray throughout the day using the Liturgy of the Hours of the Divine Office. It's our oldest podcast. It's been going on for almost 15 years now, and it's a great way to take some time out throughout the day to pray. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com. So let's talk about Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, Jimmy, why don't you start off by giving us a, a recap of this episode? Welcome to Star Wars Prodigy, the most Star Wars series ever set in the Star Trek universe. On a distant prison mining asteroid, we meet a ragtag group of characters led by Dar Dal Arel, a young prisoner. He is forced to hunt for a prisoner known as Fugitive Zero, who is a bodiless Medusan life form in a robotic shell. Apparently, Prisoner Zero has already left the human residence. The person forcing Dahl <laughs> to search for Fugitive Zero is Gwen, the daughter of the prison overlord and series villain who is called Solemn or the Diviner. Solemn isn't telling his daughter everything, though, because what he's really looking for is a Federation ship known as the Protostar, which is hidden somewhere on the prison asteroid. Dal finds both Fugitive Zero and the Protostar, and they use it to escape, along with the rest of the ragtag crew. To do this, Dal must avoid being killed by Dreadnought, a Sith-like robot who is Solemn's right-hand droid and the series' chief assistant subvillain. After piloting their way off the prison asteroid through a series of harrowing dangers, one of the ragtag crew uses the word help. This activates the Protostar's help function, which is a hologram of Captain Janeway, who appears just as the ship is heading off into freedom in parts unknown, sure to be pursued by the evil robot and chief assistant subvillain Dreadnought on behalf of series villain Solemn. The end. <laughs> yep. Okay. So that's a good that is a very good summary. Let's uh talk about the the show in in general. It's it airs on Nickelodeon, which is a kids network, and there was some and, and, and Paramount Plus. So and, yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, it um it is it's got the Nickelodeon branding on it though. Um uh, and so there was some question, is this going to be a show that's mainly for kids? Is it a show that adults could enjoy too? 
what do you guys think? Your overall impression of Prodigy? I mean, so far, so far, it is very much is not as serious as we're kind of used to with most Star Treks, but that doesn't mean it's not enjoy. I enjoyed what I mean, I enjoyed watching it. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, so far, and of course, we're making these judgments off one episode. You know, uh, if you, you know, if you watch the first couple episodes of Clone Wars, Star Wars Clone Wars, you'd say that's very much for kids. But yet it becomes very serious, very adult mm-hmm. fairly quickly. And so this could has that potential as well. There's actually a lot of potential i see in this to be to deal with some very adult serious topics i don't mean adult as in you know profane or anything like that but adult uh, topics mature Mature, that yeah yeah. and so i I think there's a lot of potential here obviously it does have very much the cartoonish uh running through corridors and things like that and you got the chompers from galaxy quest make their appearance (laughs) and stuff like that but 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 I, I think there's there's very much a potential for to be a, a, a serious Star Trek, even as kind of a cartoonish realm. OK, Jimmy, what do you think? Yeah, there was concern on the part of some people that this was going to be too children focused. Like It was going to be like Muppet Babies or a pup <laughs> named Scooby-Doo, but <laughs> it's it's not. Actually, a pup named Scooby-Doo is actually quite good. Yeah. Um, but uh, but this isn't Captain Kirk and the Star Trek babies. Uh, the characters are teenagers and the series is written to have crossover appeal with children and adult audiences. It is not as much crossover appeal as Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in Animaniacs, you have the slapstick and stuff for the kids, but then you have incredibly, you know, uh, culture knowledge dependent jokes for the adults. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing that here. Um, but it is still it's got a lot of crossover appeal. Adults can enjoy this. It's it's certainly not as slapstick as funny as, uh, you know, so Simpsons like, say, as Lower Decks. It, it It's taken a, a very different right. tack. And the animation is really I I really like the animation. It's really good. It's a nice yeah. style. This is the third animated Star Trek series mm-hmm. after Star Trek the animated series and Star Trek Lower Decks. It's the first to use CGI. And mm-hmm. it even though I haven't watched a lot of Clone Wars or stuff like that, just visually. Oh yeah. This is very much like Star Wars CGI style animation. Yeah. I'd say if I were to compare it to something in a different it's same uh, a- animation, but different uh, franchise. It's like Bad Batch, which has a, a mm. broad appeal. Um, in fact, it, it may even be a lot like Star Wars Resistance, which was panned by a lot of fans, you know, Star Wars fans, uh, but had a lot of the humor and kind mm-hmm. of uh, giggly physical humor sort of stuff, but also eventually really got into more serious plot and interesting Star Warsy stuff. So if if you want to call it the most, the most Star Warsy of Star Trek, it, it it has that connection to it. It's very much like that series. Mm-hmm. One one thing that I like about this is the rating is Y TV Y seven. Mm-hmm. So it's it's mm-hmm. meant to be something seven year olds can consume. Um and that means we're going to be spared a lot of the woke SJW yep. representational junk. Maybe that infects everything else on TV. <laughs> I mean, there's so it it's going to be understated enough yeah. that it it won't just and we won't have right. unlike Lower Decks, which is a, otherwise a really great series. It's got all these sex references in it. Yeah. And right. we shouldn't have that here. We'll be spared that. Yeah. Um, now, apparently this series was partly 
created for marketing purposes because they're thinking strategically about the franchise. Any franchise that's going to last long term needs to bring in new, uh, new younger uh, viewers mm-hmm. as the older viewers age out. And right. so, um, so this is designed to help bring a younger audience into Star Trek that then as the, the audience ages can enjoy the uh, content that's specifically produced for an adult audience. My question, though, is do you really need that? Because do you need an entry point for younger, for kids like this? Because when I was seven years old, I was watching the original series and right. I loved it. It was my favorite thing. Um, now, maybe the media market has changed now because when I was seven years old, the original series, I mean, it was in reruns. Um, and so it was kind of in prime viewing time, you know, like after school and early evenings. Uh, but and there wasn't that much. We had three channels back then um and very little science fiction and so and and very little stuff being produced for kids whereas today multiple networks aimed at just kids Mm -hmm. right and so maybe to and a lot more science fiction and so maybe today you do need an an entree for younger children to discover the star trek franchise but you certainly didn't in my day Right. You know, they are very much hyper focused now on demographics, you know, and that trying to produce things for different demographics, whether it's age or gender or race or whatever it might be, whatever the demographic might be. And so I can see them saying, yes, we need something for this demographic and whether or Mm -hmm. not they would phrase it as a so we can market the Star Trek universe to them or just so we can reach that demographic and get more people watching our shows, which means more money for advertisers and so on. I I wonder though. Oh, sorry. I wonder because the other big franchises out there don't do this. Like there isn't a star Wars equivalent of this. I mean, I mentioned resistance. It did not do well until they really tried to shift the tone and, or Marvel, they really don't do it either. But, but can't you argue that all of the, like going back to the Clone Wars and like the original Cartoon Network series Clone Wars by the Samurai Jack producers, mm-hmm. I mean, those are aimed at kids. And well, and on the other hand, Star Wars is aimed at kids. Right. Well, right. The, the original, you know, the New Hope and that stuff. Uh, I think, like, like you said, Jimmy, you, we we didn't need, need that to get into these. And kids watch all kinds of stuff, They, you know, The Mandalorian or whatever. I, I I, I'm not a I'm not a TV executive. Frankly, I think they they if you throw a dart at a dartboard, you'd probably be just as effective at predicting what people want <laughs> as these guys highly paid to do so. So in, in any case, we get to have this series, which is fine you know, that they decided to do it. And I like that we're getting a variety of things from Star Trek. It's not just a Starfleet crew on a mm-hmm. ship anymore. I mean, it's we, we we're they're exploring the, the universe of of Star Trek that we can get more things in it. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, they're definitely, you know, a different way to tell Star Trek stories. And so I, I think that's, that's good in its own. And again, it's as it goes forward, as we look at what this series does, you know, and it, there's a lot of potential here because we know um, this is in the middle of the Delta quadrant. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, if, there's if, it's a lot the, of, if it's in the middle of the Delta quadrant, it's, well, in it, the Delta, not okay. literal middle. Yeah. Not, okay. Because yes. we've got an awful lot of alpha quadrant species in this episode for it to be that distant. Well, that's, we, we, I mean, we know we yeah. know it's the Delta quadrant because the Kazon show up, you know, and they're they're and it's it's they've stated that it is Delta quadrant, but again, that right. how far in we don't know. So, well, this that's, that's going to come out as we go. 
a big important question here is when does this take place? How long after Voyager get back? And how did 20, this... 20, 2383. They've said that in the production materials. Okay. So it's mm. shortly after uh, the, it's shortly after I think. Well, Lower okay. Star Trek was, Nemesis. It's two Nemesis years Lower after. Decks is about the same time. Well, so. It's two years after the second season of Lower Decks. Two years okay. before the uprising on Mars that we have in Picard, sixteen years before hmm. the main uh, events of Picard, eight years after Voyager returned to the Alpha Quadrant. I, I well, answer my own question. <laughs> well, it's interesting too because um, they make it sound like the ship has been there for a long time, right? You know, like this because part of the part of the uh, the the diviner or Solon says, "I've been searching for this for the ship for for years, and that's why he started this whole mining process was to find it." And I so mean, they make it sound like it's been there for right decades. How does Janeway get on board the Janeway hologram? And you could you could head candidate that before she was captain of Voyager, she was involved in training simulations or something well, like that. But then they, I, I'm thinking it all happens in that eight years after they get back from Voyager. They, I, they I, Voyager is such a successful mission. They decide yeah. to make hologram versions of the crew to sub in in other emergency situations. They put it on a prototype starship to see how it works. Something goes wrong and the ship gets lost. Right. Well, and then there's there's references uh, in offline me like imdb to captain chakotay yep mm-hmm. being involved we know robert beltran is involved in this and that he is captain so that had to be after that's true voyager that's true. yeah it's it is a true i mean it's i wonder how yeah if if not enough attention was paid in the development of it to when and that sort of thing and kind of fit it in to the continuity uh, I, I i you're being kind of kind of harsh there i'd no, give him i'd give him a chance to explain first no no that's right. what i'm saying is did, did did they spend time trying to fit it in continuity and i mean even i'm this, sure they did yeah this 2383 reference may in fact n- end up being changed at some point and having it be later because like you said i mean solemn says he's been looking for this thing for a long time um and maybe maybe a couple of years is a long time for him but uh it's interesting he, he could be an Ocampan. yeah <laughs> right right uh well we do find out or we're told that he and his daughter Gwyn are the last of their species. Yep. Which is interesting. As, as supposedly. And that, that's supposedly. one of my questions is this going to, you know, because you've got the question with Gwyn where she's basically kidnapped onto the, the protostar. Yep. And the question is going to be, you know, how is she going to become a part of the crew? I mean, it, it, yeah. you know, in a storyline like this, it's they're going to go with that, that, that that trope of she's going to be converted, you know, she's going to fight oh, yeah. with him for an episode or two, and then she's going to be converted. And is it going to be something like they fi- she finds out that her father has been lying to her? There really are other people this race, or she sees the harm that her dad's done, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so, but it, it's stated in here that they are the last of their race. So, I made a series of predictions after watching these this first episode. Um, so did, yeah. Dal Arel his species will be an ongoing theme leading to a key revelation. Right. Right. Because he's from an unknown species. So we've got an Odo situation with him. He's going to, there's going to eventually there's going to be some revelation about his species and his people. Prediction Mm -hmm. number two, Gwen's father and his droid will be ongoing and she will be tempted, but will have to make a clear choice at some point. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, which father just referred to. Prediction number three, Solemn will have a special reason for wanting the protostar, and and he may be from the Alpha Quadrant. Mm. 
which could explain why he and his daughter are the only people of their race that they know about because they're not really from the Delta Quadrant. Um, Prediction number four, Zero uh, will be exposed at some point. Now, Zero is the Medusan, Mm -hmm. not ambassador, but the Medusan character. Uh, And so the Medusans we met in the original series where in in the episode... uh, Is there in truth no beauty? Is there in truth no beauty? Where if you look at a Medusan, there's an Medusan, Medusan ambassador in that who's carried around in a box. And if you look at him with your naked eyes, you're going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. And only Spock uh, can look at him with a visor to protect him. But then even when Spock gets a glimpse of him without the visor, Spock goes crazy. So prediction number four, zero will at some point be exposed, forcing someone to the brink of insanity. Prediction number five, Murph, this is the ball of goo alien, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. will turn out, who who just babbles at this point, uh, will turn out to be quite intelligent and more than it appears. Uh, prediction number six, Rock, uh, that's the the female, looks like a big version of the thing from the Fantastic Four. Right. And Jankum, that's the, and his name is just so Star Wars, Jankum Pog. That is yeah. so Star Wars. He's the the pig-like Tellarite. Both of them are going to have notable backstories. Uh, another prediction, the protostar will have a notable backstory. How did it get here? Blah, blah, blah. And then last prediction, some member of the crew will have to choose between continuing to travel and apparently having a chance to go home. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's the thing. They're all they've all been taken from their homes. They're all, yep. you know, separated from their people, their families. Um and you know, I kind of, I kind of same thing, Jimmy. I, Jimmy had on some kind of the same predictions I have. Um, by the way, Murph is a D. Bradley Baker is voicing him. <laughs> which the, is, the slug is D. Bradley Baker, which lends uh, who, credence to your prediction, by the way, because he's going to have to have some lines in order to be. Yeah, you know. and, and for those who don't don't know or don't remember, D. Bradley Baker is uh, was the voice of the clones in both Clone War and uh, Bad Batch. Yeah. he's a very very well known, very prolific voice, voice actor. actor. Yeah. yeah, and you wouldn't uh, hire him to just be going. Although, yep. uh, apparently, just he did that with Alan Tudyk and in uh, Moana. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in in kind of going with Jimmy's prediction on that, it, it's Murph that figures out a couple of things, including how to make the pew 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 happen, You're right? As yeah, they right. say, how in to this, fire you know, the, make phasers. the phasers, yeah, make the fire the phasers. Um, when all all they really needed to do was turn on the deflectors, because that's the deflectors' job. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't know that. They, they haven't flown before. But, uh, you know, one, one prediction talking about the pro stars. How did it get there? What happened to the crew? Because it was sent with a crew. And this is where the the, the, the Captain Chicote. are we going to run into the crew at some point? Mm. Or are we just going to see them through, like, crew logs? Are mm-hmm. we going to start seeing, the, you know, the personal logs? And that's where they're going to show up in this. Um, are they going to go back and rescue the other miners? Because, you know, they had this Caitlin Cation. child, this yeah. Cation, uh, yep. kitten, basically. Yeah. Um, and they show her all excited to see the ship take off. Are they going to go back and rescue the miners, the other miners, or are they going to continue onward? And that's going to be the last we're going to see of them. I I think based on similar series of, you know, children's television, I'm, I'm expecting that Solemn is likely for the most part to stay at this base. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be wrong or he'll have a new one, but I'm guessing the Cation child is going to become his uh, surrogate for his daughter mm-hmm. because his daughter was his primary translator. Right. And that's what we see Gwen teaching the Cation child. She's like every new language does this for you. Right. And so I'm guessing the Cation child is going to be 
employed as a, as kind of a Gwyn surrogate by Solemn. A couple of things. Uh, the Solemn's last line is "Get me my ship." So I'm guessing yep. he's leaving the the base to like, chase them. Oh no, I took that to mean the Protostar is my exactly. ship. Get that back for me. That's the driving force of the series. Uh, oh, okay. I yeah, that, that's kind of how I took it too. Oh, okay. Was like you know because he'd been looking for the protostar. He sees it as and his now ship. that it's been yeah. found, he yeah. wants it. He wants it. By the way, John Noble is the voice of. I was going to know John yeah. Noble is awesome. <laughs> if you don't remember who John Noble is, he's Walter from Fringe. Yep, and and he's he's the guy in Denethor. the terror. Denethor in the terrifying chicken eating scene from the second of the Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> That's one way to remember him. Yes, he's dead. Denethor. Yes. Uh, the other thing I mentioned is actually, Jimmy, one of your predictions already came true, which is the Medusin was used to uh, make someone go crazy. That's why Solemn was keeping uh, Zero was to use as a weapon against prisoners to, or a punishment for right. prisoners and Lurian, which is Morn's yeah. race to mm-hmm. make them crazy. So. Yeah, but my prediction, I should refine it, is more one of the one of right. the ragtag crew sure. is or some new ally we meet is going to get pushed to the brink of insanity by having to view zero without a without a visor. Well, one of the questions that they're going to hopefully is is part of the, the as well as how did all of these Alpha Quadrant races get into the Delta Quadrant? The Tellarite, mm-hmm. the Lurian, the Cation. These mm-hmm. are these are some interesting questions like. Uh, and so the Kazon are apparently scouring the Delta Quadrant to, to supply uh, slave labor of criminals and orphans to the Diviner, Solemn, uh, yeah, for called his... The, the Unwanted. Right, right. And it, interesting sort of a uh, bit of a trope. Not, I don't say that in a negative way, but a, a, a common element in stories of this type where, you know, the, the, the Unwanted who end up finding out that they are valuable in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. I want to know if he's... if if. Uh, they should pay this off. Now it's bad writing if they don't, but mm. they may not. But if 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 Solemn is a diviner, what does he divine? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we need we need that explained, right? Um, and and I don't know what it's going to be, but they need to explain it. Uh, I I did like we we open with a big uh, set piece chase escape scene with the with the doll being chased you know mm-hmm. through the the prison it reminded me a lot of the uh, young kirk chase in the 2009 jj abrams uh, star trek mm-hmm. which was helped oh, by the really? music because the music is done by michael giacchino who has done all of the movie music which is uh, a lot of fun. I, I was not a fan of the kirk chase scene in um the kid in that yeah well I, it, it 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 also this is in iowa since when did the grand canyon show up in iowa uh yeah in the uh, the the great earthquake of twenty two fifty eight, yeah, as he's, as he's driving a, a you know early seventies Corvette, yeah. which by that time would have been three hundred four hundred years old, and <laughs> there's no railing and no safety devices, and this doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's T.J. Abrams, so it doesn't have to make sense. Apparently, this was a little more effective of a, of a, a prisoner escape chase. Let's yeah. just put it that way. I'll and I'll accept doesn't make a lot of sense in a children's show, but yeah. m- movie for adults, not so much. Right, right. And there, and there, like you said, there's a lot of uh, running, running about, running, being chased by things in in this mm-hmm. one, which is you know kids action scene. Uh, another reference I wanted to mention was uh, to the they're in the window of dreams star cluster. That's where this prison 
planetoid is. Uh, that was mentioned in Voyager's episode Body and Soul as a distant oh. place I want to show you. Um, mm, so mm. A, of unusual beauty, which which is um, so that's where we get the reference here as well. So that's uh, be, cool. being mined from Voyager. Um, they also they introduce a mineral that is not dilithium, but is apparently very valuable. It's called chimerium. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what chimerium is used for because it's apparently very valuable. Lightsabers. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Well. <laughs> it sounds like kyber crystals, like chimerium crystals. So, I mean, if it's chimerism and chimeras is a word in, yeah. in, in our language. So a chimera was a monster from Greek mythology um, that was held to have characteristics of different animals like an eagle and a lion and things like that. And it's now thought to have perhaps been based on the discovery of bones of of triceratops or protoceratops, Mm -hmm. some of the ceratopsian dinosaurs. but it's come to, it's come to uh, more broadly these days uh chimerism is where you have an organism that is made of cells from different organisms right and so a chimera something's chimerical if it is illusory or mixed in some way or tricky in some way and mm-hmm. um and so I, that may play a role in why Chimerium is named that. Right. It'll be interesting to, to follow that up. Um, the only other thing, I, I kind of like the design of the Scorpion Guard bots, which are you know, these, uh, these <laughs> watchers. Mm-hmm. The watchers. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's something I wanted to comment on. We have almost never seen, that's one of the most distinctive things about the Star Trek universe that distinguishes it from the Star Trek universe is the absence of robots. Right. We have virtually no robots in the Star Trek universe up to this point. Data is like the lone, I mean, Data and his android family is like yeah. the lone exception to that. Yeah. Um, right. But here we have uh, Dreadnought, whose name is obviously based on the word Dreadnought for some reason, just because it's mm. got dread in it and a, and a, um, uh, a harsh K sound at the end. Um and then we've got all these watcher droids and it's just seeing all these droids running all over the place immediately is one of the things that conjures Star Wars. It also doesn't hurt that Dreadnought is visually similar to Darth Vader. Yeah. And Solemn is visually similar to Snoke. Right. Right. You know, um, Discovery gave us more robots too with the the repair bots and then we even got a whole short track about the repair bots. So they've Mm -hmm. they've been I think they've been kind of filling it in saying, well, yeah, we really would have more robots in the future, given what we know yeah. now. So. Now do money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And not- well, they've already, already done that in this. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Of course, another another similarity, similarity between the Watchers and uh, Star Wars is they can't hit the broadside of the protostar, much less <laughs> someone running from them. But, right. you know, it, it, it is it is interesting that they can add some of that stuff that you don't normally see. And they. they you know, one thing you're talking about languages, and that's, you know, a big thing is they don't have translators on this planet. Uh, so people are talking different languages, but Dahl is one of the few that speaks Federation Standard. And so that's the part of the question of where he's from, is that his language is Federation Standard versus the other right. races speak their different languages and their different tongues. So it must be from the Alpha Quadrant as well, in, mm-hmm. in the Federation in particular. 
That would and be interesting. Gw- and Gwyn knows Federation Standard 2 somehow. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Also, one thing, speaking of technology, uh, one thing that I did like where they're trying to think ahead is uh, Gwyn has a programmable matter device that she right. wears on her. It looks like much oh, of the yeah. time, it looks like a, a, some kind of golden armlet bracelet kind of thing. But when she wants it to, it turns, it changes shape and becomes like a sort of golden batleth looking thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was good. I like that. That was a very a creative idea for, to, to, for that. I, I like that she had that with her. Uh, they, we see that being used. That is a nice one. I also like um, th- how they have been thinking about the psychology of these characters, and they point out that Tellarites are very contentious, mm-hmm. and so they turn that to their advantage immediately by using reverse psychology to manipulate Jankum Pog. Yeah. And right. so it's like, yeah, so you're right. You shouldn't come with this. It's like, oh, you think you can survive without me, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. And I especially appreciated his use of percussive maintenance. That, that's, that is a very real thing, especially in computers. You know, sometimes they just need a smack up the side of the head. We saw a good bit of it in 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 uh, this week's episode of Doctor Who as well. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, it's literally too, yeah. sitting right on the uh, uh, hammer, sitting right on the console. I, 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 I noticed the Doctor apologized to the TARDIS every time before she hit it with the rubber mallet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Father Corey, any other notes on this episode? Uh, just kind of one thing, you know, when you you watch the the closing credits, which I actually I think that's the int- that's going to be the intro going forward, the, yeah. the scenes that they showed at the end. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, it's some of it's stylized and everything, but one thing they note they show is the 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 ship going to warp or going to some kind of uh, hyperspace or whatever, and then the cells tuck in, so it's going to be some kind of it's the the protostar is going to have some kind of uh. And yes, I use some kind of on purpose because you know, <laughs> discover or voyagers involved. Uh some kind of uh, advanced warp drive or hyperspace drive or slip sleam drive or whatever they're going to call it this week. Uh, and that's going to be part of it. Um, kind of one thing I thought of too, is, you know, because of the, having the Janeway uh, hologram is the protostar going to be like a training ship of some sort. That's what I was thinking. You know, yeah. Yeah. That seems, seems logical. Um, by the way, I, I forgot to mention this, the brick car. The species of that rock talk is uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. they first showed up in Star Trek novels as uh, oh, really. Yeah, it was. Um, oh, what, what Peter David did a series of novels featuring a different captain and crew, which was really good. I really liked it. And I think that's the one that had the first brick are uh, of the species as like security chief. One this was they originally appeared in novels uh, anyway. So so were the Brickard native to the Alpha Quadrant or the Delta Quadrant in yeah, this series? From the Alpha Quadrant. That's the that's mm-hmm. another Alpha that's Quadrant like, species mm. then, which is interesting. So uh kind of curious to to see how that, that plays out. Um Jimmy, any other notes? Nope. Then let us move on to our feedback. We have some listener feedback from our uh, recent uh, Lower Decks episode, episode 175, Uh Uh, The Afro Sam on YouTube writes, Hey guys, love all the podcasts. I think y'all missed a trick here. When the female Vulcan is reassigned to a Starfleet ship, I'm almost positive her salute was meant to be a callback to Mariner's sarcastic Mm -hmm. Vulcan salute. Uh, oh, give it totally. Another, give it another yeah. quick watch and let me know if you're great. So we, we, uh, <laughs> we oh, no, I, yeah. at, the, at the time I thought, oh, great. A Vulcan sarcastic, a sarcastic Vulcan salute. And from a real yeah, Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, 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 I'd 
thought of that when I watched it. And I forgot to write it down to mention it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It was definitely calling back to Mariner doing her little salute. Yep. Um, and then Paul Leone uh, also wrote, wrote on our YouTube channel. This was probably my favorite episode of season two. Loved your discussion of it. I wonder what a Romulan, Romulan Lower Decks Quartet would look like. Jimmy, you have some thoughts? Romulan Lower Decks Quartet. You yeah, mean I, not a musical quartet, but, no, no, the, but the characters? The characters. Yeah. Um, they would in all likely, I mean, they would each have a different personality if I were designing them, but, uh, one of the traits that would emerge is paranoia. (laughs) Um, they would be wondering who is the secret Tal Shiar agent and someone is maybe secretly bucking to become a Tal Shiar agent. (laughs) Right, right. right. Yeah. That would be, that would be, yeah, it would, there would be a lot of, uh, suspicion and backstabbing among them. That would be true. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that is our feedback. Thank you both for your feedback. We love to get feedback. We want to hear your feedback on this episode too. And uh, that can always be sent to Trek at SQPN.com. I think that oh, about. Oh, I, yeah. I, so the Russian Boimler, I mean, the Romulan Boimler yeah. is like desperate to get into Tal Shiar and is constantly sucking up to someone he thinks is in the Tal Shiar <laughs> and is, is totally blowing it because if, in order to really get into the Tal Shiar, you need to be subtle, not over eager. <laughs> right, yeah. right. That would be that would be it. All right. I, I knew you'd have a little more on that. All right. We As we wrap things up, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Mike M, Andrea M, Laura R, Mary Ellen R. and Robert B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So what do you think of this first episode of Prodigy called Lost and Found? We want to hear from you. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of Prodigy. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and... <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarCrest. And remember, fess up, you two. I know you two are in cat boots. <laughs> <laughs>